Welcome to this uh, roundtable discussion about the uh, Student Forum of UASIS. Uh, and with me, I've got a, a great group of people who are uh, going to introduce themselves in a minute. My name is Simon Usherwood. I'm treasurer of UASIS, and I was the second ever uh, chair of the Student Forum way back in the very early 2000s. Um, do you want to say? Okay. So I'm Vivian Gravey. I'm at the University of Queen's University, Belfast, and I was chair of the Student Forum from 2014 to 2016. Okay. Well, okay. I'm Miguel Otero Iglesias, and I'm a senior analyst at the Cano Royal Institute in Madrid, and a junk professor at IE University, as well in, in Madrid, and uh, I was a chair of the Student Forum from 2011 to 2013. I'm Anna Wambach, based in Newcastle, and I've been involved in the Student Forum since 2014, and I've been the chair since last November. And I'm Ms. Monaghan, and I'm a lecturer in politics at the University of Hull, and I was involved in the Student Forum way back around 2004 as a member of the committee, and then as chair for two years after that. Okay. So between us, we've got, well, lots of experience of the forum. Uh, we're going to talk about some different things. We're going to talk first a little bit about why we set up the forum, how we've seen it changed, and then I think talking more about being a PhD student in European studies uh, and how the forums played a role in that. Um, as the, the old hand, which is always a, a wonderful position to, to have on these kind of discussions, it's maybe worth saying just a, a few things. So I was the second chair of the association, um, and... Uh, I was involved at the point of setting it up in about 2000 uh, because we, we found that there were a lot of uh, graduate students coming to the conference, uh, being involved in the association, but there wasn't really a place for us uh, to, to get to know each other. Um, and we thought that there was uh, a good group of people who seemed keen in putting something together, a lot of support from uh, the officers and the committee uh, to try and uh, develop that further and structure it. Uh, a bit more. Um, and really it was uh, about recognising that graduate students have always been a really important part of what UASIS does. Um, uh, and just to give an example, I was doing my uh, PhD at LSC and uh, I never met people at LSC doing PhDs on similar topics. I had to go to UASIS conferences where I'd meet people who had an office down the corridor from me, but we never bothered to walk down the corridor, and nor did I for that matter. Um, so recognizing that you know this was a great way of building capacity and i think particularly that european studies often is quite atomized we're spread out that this was a, a way of creating a common space uh, for people so working with the committee uh working with uh charlie burns who was the first chair um we started to kind of set up some activities so we was trying to think about what's useful so partly about uh providing contact lists, so we were setting up the uh, Euro Research mailing list, but also having some regional uh, research conferences, so giving students, uh, grad students, uh, an opportunity to present their work in a, a more friendly space, well, I mean, it's already a very friendly space here at UASIS, but uh, an even more kind of uh, a benign environment, giving them experience uh, to do that. So one of the, the first things that we were doing was uh, organising regional conferences. I think we had a North Conference and a South Conference. And uh, yeah, I think my earliest memory was an event at uh, Essex, um, bringing together 
panels, uh, a whole range of subjects. I think we had a, a really good turnout. And again, meeting some new people who hadn't previously been involved. And I think that was one of the real things was that by having a student forum, making it a more explicit welcome for PhD students, which I think was a, a really useful kind of development. I'm not going to go on about uh, uh, the, the past too much, but I'm, I'm interested in kind of getting your views about how you see uh, the forum developing, changing, the, the big changes. One of the things uh, that we've talked about is, uh, or might talk about, is the way that we've gone from having annual chairs uh, to having by uh, two-year chairs and, you know, quite how that came about. So I, this is probably a good reason to, yes. uh, to, to, to pass to you. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was on um, the Student Forum Committee for a year, mm -hmm. or was it two? And then um, became chair when the previous chair vacated. I think um, the election was uncontested, so it's more like a, a coronation, really. And it was initially for a year's term, but... Uh, there was no stampede of, of, of this to, to take over, so I stayed for another year. And in actual fact, the kind of continuity over two years worked quite well. And I think since then, there's been a two-year mandate for chairs, but I'm mm -hmm. not sure about yeah. Yeah. committee members yeah. as well. As well. Yeah. yeah. As well. Yes. One of the things we also decided to do, it worked okay, was to try and separate out um, some functional roles for committee members so there'd be someone looking after the conference, someone who's looking after your research, uh, mailing list, um, and so on, and someone looking after uh, or in charge of uh, overseeing JCER, as we called it in those days, um, which of course is JSA nowadays, and that was um, an innovation that uh, started when I was on the committee, so we had a kind of co-chair of the committee, Lars Hoffman, he was doing his DPhil at St Anthony's Oxford and um, whilst I was chairing the student forum he was the editor, the first editor, the founding editor of the journal. So it made a lot of sense to, to try and split our work up in that respect. So it was becoming quite differentiated already at that stage. And I think that's one of the things is that the portfolio of activities has developed. You know, we've kind of gone through different formulations of the committee and roles and, mm -hmm. uh, well, from this side of the table, things that you you introduced or that you you brought about or that you saw happening, changing. I mean, when I was a chair, uh, actually, you know, the student forum committee was not really involved in JCR, and so you know, the editors back then, you know, they were really kind of you know uh, doing it themselves, and, and and so we had to push a bit, and there was a change of editors, and that helped us, you know, back to 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 co-edit or at least you know find reviewers and I think you know overall the student forum I mean especially if you were one of the committee members gave you a lot of opportunities to acquire skills right I mean that that's really I mean from going to the conferences to have just like you know peers that are your level and so you are not as nervous and mm -hmm. it's not as right kind of you know daunting to be in a, in a proper conference so it was a mock training for that mm -hmm. but as well for, for the committee members it was just amazing to you know to see how you have to select places to do conferences to organize a conference to do the editing of the JCR etc so I think you know uh, it was a wonderful experience uh, on, on my side and I think everyone really loved it and then mm -hmm. uh, you know and so I, I mean we, we really strengthened the feeling of you know the, the, the 
um, student forum committee should be much more involved in JCR. I think from my own experience, in terms, I completely agree in terms of skills training, but uh, we try to make sure that if you had helped select the paper one year, perhaps then you were taking a lead on that and bringing new people in, showing them the ropes, but also letting them learn on the job and then doing slightly different different tasks year on year so that you could contribute to all the different um, elements of the committee. And I guess the big change was also the rise of social media, the rise of the blog um, that we started. So, you know, is this kind of beyond Racer trying to decide what the student forum should be doing on Twitter, should be doing on Facebook, and I'm sure, yeah, change again. And Anna, we've been developing this. Yeah, we've, we've been trying to become much more active on social media mm-hmm. in the past year, also with a lot of help from the UACES office, I have to say, um, just trying to get our our events promoted and just have it out there because I think we were a bit quiet in the past years. Mm-hmm. Only when we did have events going on, then we would tweet and then we would publish things. But now we really try in the run up to the events and throughout the year to stay active. And I mean, we had to ask the publisher um, panel here as well on Monday. And um, that was another way of, of getting the student forum out there and mm-hmm. having another way to, to promote the student forum because unfortunately we really struggled attracting people to come to the last conference, which is a shame because, as we said, it's such a great opportunity to present your, your papers in a safer environment and a friendly environment with a really good roundtable at the beginning and at the end. So we really tried and push it very hard on social media. Yeah, but I think, you know, you know, thinking about, you know, getting people involved, whether as participants or as committee members or as chairs, is a persistent kind of theme. And, you know, mm-hmm. we've, we've tried different things over time. And I know that, you know, those regional conferences we used to do, we had three years, four years, where they worked really well. We got really good recruitment. And then suddenly it dried up and we went down to one regional conference. And then we went into kind of more kind of annual yeah. kind of uh, general mm-hmm. uh, conference. And I think that's one of the, the things that for me has always been quite striking about the, the student forum is the way that it's been able to adapt to changing situations and finding new and interesting kind of activities. I think JSA is a classic example of that, but it's an initiative that, that has taken on a life of its own. Maybe at some point it's a bit too much of a life of its own, but then has come back and still has that really kind of deep organic link with the, the work of the student forum. And then yeah, just changing spaces. Um, and maybe that's a, a useful question to you. I, when I was doing my PhD back in uh, the... Uh, I started in 1999 um, and... Uh, I finished 2003, that you know, lots has changed that I can see and that the way uh, being a PhD student has uh, changed, I think also is reflected in the way that uh, being uh, the, the work of the student forum uh, has changed as well. Um, it's probably easier for me to reflect on that, but you know, are there things that you particularly notice, changes that you've seen uh, that uh, have had that impact? You know, how much is the forum driving change, how much is it reflecting change? So my first experience at the Student Forum was a seminar. There's a seminar in November in London, learning about publishing, blogging, all that, and realizing I'm a year in my PhD, I don't have any publication in Pipeline, it's a problem, I need to get going. And the whole, um, yes, 
needing to publish a lot even during the PhD in order to have any kind of shot on the job market might, I think, perhaps be one of these changes uh, in which student form has really been there as well to help students navigate that new change. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the reason that JCR originated yes. in the first place, because it was becoming apparent that uh, doctoral students needing to publish was increasingly a thing and there was a sense that whilst one would um, aspire towards kind of established journals it was much more likely that um, you know if, if there was something aimed more at PhD students and early career research and kind of cutting edge ongoing developing research then that would sort of fill fill that gap mm-hmm. so that was really your response to a kind of emerging trend that was occurring. I think we also use the knowledge of how the PhD has changed to attract students to the student forum. We say, look, you, you know, you've got those pressures in a PhD and we help you develop your skills in that area. We've got those panels on publishing. We've got those panels on teaching. We've got training on all sorts of things. Um, for the next seminar, we were thinking about training on what to do at a conference. Um, just for people to to learn how to present themselves at a conference mm-hmm. and um, how to network, right? Yeah, as well. That's yeah. important. To yeah. take or not to take pictures of conference food. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for example, well, depending on whether I should be attending or presenting. But uh, I, again, I, I think that's part of it. You know, uh, one of the things we were talking about just before we started filming was. Uh, uh, Vivian, you're asking me if I had done a PhD because <laughs> you, you, you seem to have this memory of an apocryphal time where people could get jobs in universities without PhDs. And certainly when I was uh, studying, I think I was at the very tail end of that. I, mm-hmm. I did know some people who had got jobs uh, without PhDs. They'd had some professional experience or they had just, well, apparently just turned up and the university had employed them. Um, and yeah, I found that unusual. But uh, certainly at the point that uh, I was graduating, uh, finishing the, the, the PhD, you needed a PhD to, to stand a chance. And articles was coming through, but it was mm-hmm. very rare. And I think one of the things I notice now, uh, not least when we're advertising for jobs, is that the requirements for entry into the job market, certainly for a permanent position, have become so much more mm-hmm. uh, demanding that mm-hmm. the, the quality of uh, applicants that we have is so much higher. And again, partly that's mm-hmm. about professionalization of PhDs, which I think is a really important part and mm-hmm. really reflects on the work of uh, the Student Forum. But uh, again, you know, if we're looking at a, an entry-level job, if you don't have a PhD, if you don't have some publications, if you haven't got some funding, uh, if you haven't done some teaching, it's possible just to scrape those people out and mm-hmm. say, well, we, we, we've got you know, dozens of people who can do that. So Again, that, that, that shifting kind of balance, I think, is a, a really important part. Um, and that may explain as well uh, that it might be now difficult to, to, to attract uh, students for the student forum conference, because I, I think now it's all accelerated, right? I mean, people have to publish very quickly. I mean, there are even PhDs only on, on three pieces published, because, mm-hmm. you know, people really need to get three pieces publish, uh, you know, when they finish their PhDs. And so, so I guess, you know, there's this eagerness to go to the, you know, to the senior conference as, as quick as possible, to publish as quick as possible, to network as, to, to, to get a job. And, and I think, um, I mean, you know, the field has shrunk, uh, you know, there are not so many, uh, you know, positions out there. I mean, European studies generally 
has been kind of you know shrinking and and you know that makes it uh, tougher for for everyone i think right and that's interesting you know we've been talking about phd's but we've also got early career researchers which have become a much bigger part mm. of what we have and, and you know I, I see a lot of colleagues who have they have their phd but then it's a succession of one year posts mm. and they're kind of traveling mm -hmm. around the continent and uh, very much more insecure kind of position. Uh, how, how do you see the forum doing things for them? Well, we've, we've only recently decided that we do invite early career researchers along as well because we thought that might be beneficial for both the PhD students attending mm -hmm. and for the early career researchers to still be involved in in the student forum, still get a bit of extra training if they if they think they, they would like that. Um, but I think PhD students can take quite a lot out of actually having early career researchers yeah. there as well, have extra support, um, make the student forum more attractive for PhD students that you say, well, we've got people that got their doctorate that can give you really good advice that you can talk to. But I think it goes beyond the opportunistic in that yeah. it's good for perhaps first-year PhD students to come to the conference, the student forum conference, and they just present a paper. The second year, perhaps they organize a panel. The third year, they can also still come back and be discussant. You know, it's all of these different skills about conference. It's not just about presenting. So I think even then, the early career researcher can again bring something else in terms of professional development or just building networks because perhaps they have to start writing grants and they need other uh, collaborators. So we can do more in these conferences for different stages. It's interesting because one of the things I've always found about Oasis is that the, the main association is always very welcoming and uh, uh, engaged with PhD students, with early career researchers. Um, and certainly at the time that I was doing uh, my PhD, uh, I was more peripherally involved with other associations. And there it was very much the PhD students shouldn't, you know, sully the, the purity of the main activities. And, uh, you know, requirements about having limits on the number of PhD students at a panel at the main conference. Mm -hmm. uh, you see that less, but, but do, do you see that as an advantage for the student forum, that the, the, the main association was already very open and supportive, or, or was it, uh, you know, how, how did that, how has that played out for you? I don't know, I think it was a natural process at the end of the day because, I mean, for, for, for PhDs, the most difficult thing is to get into a panel, an organized panel, right? I mean, at the beginning when you do your PhD, you, you just send your, your, your abstract and you think, well, someone will maybe pick me. Uh, without knowing that, you know, in most conferences, or, you know, conference organizers, they just take, you know, panels that have been already organized and it's, so it's much easier. And so I think that process makes it difficult for PhD students to go to the senior conference and therefore, you know, I think the student forum would be, but maybe, you know, as I said, now everything is accelerated. So perhaps even first year PhD students, they know already that they need to go with, you know, with, with other people in a panel to submit. Uh, and that's why they, they prefer to go to the senior conference. But it should be a natural process, right? I mean, it should be hard for PhDs to get in. Uh, the senior one, that's why, you know, the, 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 the student one uh, is there, right? Mm -hmm. But I think something we haven't mentioned yet is resources, because the student forum is special in that there's support, financial support for students to attend. Mm -hmm. That's true. And not everyone has a very big amount of money while doing their PhD. And actually having that financial support helps bring perhaps people in and then really prepare them for that when they go to one that expensive conference, they get more out of it. 
In talking about the, the financial support, um, we've also got some other streams of money uh, for, for doing some study trips. Um, when uh, that wasn't from us yeah. uh, setting it up, so where where did that come from? I think the scholarships were the scholarships for conducting fieldwork abroad were in existence when I was in the student forum as a, as a member and I think I actually benefited from from receiving one quite apart from the financial support to actually go and conduct field work in Brussels one of the things that struck me was that it encourages PhD students to get into the habit of bidding for, of competing for funding um, which has become even more important ever since rather than expecting it to be uh, handed out mm -hmm. essentially and um, the whole process of making a case for your research making a case for why this needs funding um, has just got more and more important so that practice a kind of training of the broader academic skills and it's not just academic skills mm -hmm. either you know um, one thing that we didn't talk about yet was transitioning from a PhD to a job outside academia and that was a theme Mm -hmm. when I was doing my PhD and I, I think it's it's taken on a sort of different life now in, in my work at the University of Hull I lead on postgraduate research and it's something that I talk about to PhD students as well I, I don't know does does everyone else feel as though the PhD was training for and only for an academic job or is there a sense that there are there are other careers possible Um, you're, all, you're shocked at the concept. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> 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 no, um, I think on this, I remember. So when we we organise uh, a session at one of the seminar on how to get a job after the PhD, and that was one of the key input. We needed someone who had you know, done a PhD in political science and European studies, and then gone on to a terrific job outside of academia because more and more of us leave academia after the PhD. It's mm. not that many jobs in the academia and also there's lots of great jobs outside. Yeah. Um, so having kind of a positive discussion about this, it's not just because you can't find a job in academia, mm. it's also because you might want to do something else. There's lots of great other things to do. So that was something that I was hearing in a student forum but not necessarily hearing in my university. Mm. So I think the student forum here led the way as well in terms of you know having this open discussion about the fact that you can do something else with a PhD. Yeah, I mean, coming back to the question of, of whether um, you know PhDs training uh, the process leads to or, or really people get trained properly for outside academia jobs. I, I don't think that it is the case. I mean, right now still I think PhDs are taught in a way that you know it will lead you to academia instead of really giving perhaps you other skills for other sectors mm -hmm. uh, that's that's my mm -hmm. my impression so yeah. so there i think because it's true that i mean i see it that more and more fields you need to have now a phd mm -hmm. i mean you know in banking and finance uh, i think a lot of areas you need to now but what was before the masters now it's a phd right yeah. i mean uh, you have even like uh, dbas right doctoral in business administration so, uh, so I think that's a trend, but I think in universities people still are trained to be an academic. Yeah, I think that's where we're sort of responding rather than driving things mm -hmm. in, in academia. I mean, the research councils in the UK, they're all over this notion that a PhD might lead to 
other careers, economically significant careers, socially significant careers, as well as careers inside academia. So I don't know whether that's... And, you know, the way doctoral training is uh, organised and funded by research councils in the UK has changed massively since I was doing my PhD and um, since I was in the student forum, and whereas we were... Um, we were organising events on elements of, of research training ourselves then. I think this is now increasingly really concentrated in doctoral training centres, uh, BESRC, mm. um, doctoral training centres in mm. our discipline. And that has totally changed from my time. That you know, When I was doing a PhD uh, study, I, it was just me, you know, I, I, I turned up at LSE and said, would somebody supervise me and somebody supervised me? Uh, and largely I was left to get on with it and at the end we kind of hoped that there would be a PhD. So it, it is a very uh, different kind of uh, situation. I guess that prompts a question uh, of a different kind, which is, you know, how do you see the discipline changing? You know, we've, you know, European studies is a broad area. So, you know, how much is, you know, about specific disciplines? How much is about the cross-cutting thing? Because one of the things I found really useful of, the student forum of UASIS was that opportunity to meet people from outside of uh, whatever discipline I, I might mm -hmm. be doing um, and get that cross-fertilisation of, uh, of ideas. So, so it's just seem nodding heads. Is, is that... Is... I think, I mean, one of the things we've been struggling with the definition of European studies is that on paper it is incredibly diverse. But if you look at who's coming to conferences tends to be political science, mm. international relations, and there's a few lawyers who really still try to come and make it more diverse. But I think the diversity of European studies has been decreasing because of lack of perhaps language skills in students, and so there's been less and less specific European studies programs that were really looking at different disciplines. So that might just be coming up again now. I'm not exactly sure where it's going, with Brexit and with the fact that Europe is in the news again a lot. We might actually see a new mm. wave of Europe's European studies module and programs. But I think we need to be careful that this multidisciplinarity of European studies is something we need to fight for. We need to really encourage our colleagues in history, in law, to consider UACES, to come and contribute, and so that we're not just political scientists talking to each other. Mm. I had um, conversations with people trying to convince them to submit an abstract to our student forum conference, and they were, well, I'm not European Union studies. You kind of are. Look at what you're doing and look at what I'm doing. I'm not strictly European Union studies in that sense. So you can't actually submit one. So, mm -hmm. oh, right, it's that broad. I didn't know that. So mm -hmm. maybe it's a matter of getting the word out there as well. Yeah. Like, you are invited. Um, we are a broader, a broader field than it might look like from the outside. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I think European science generally, I think now it's inserted and more global. I mean, as I see it, more masters and, uh, you know, kind of broader postgraduate um, courses are really more about IR. I mean, I think students, I don't know, maybe in the UK with Brexit and that might change, but I think at least, you know, Madrid, my university, people really want, because now it's a very international university you have people from all around the world and a lot of these people you know Japanese Chinese uh, yeah. you know are from the Arab world they are not really interested in European affairs that much and so I see the trend that you know European affairs is just one aspect of a broader IR 
studies. Which prompts the question, what about the future? And we've been looking back a, a bit over the, the past nearly 20 years of uh, the Student Forum. Uh, where do we go? You know, what do, you, what do we see as the challenges that we need to think about, the things that you think are going to be important? Um, Anna? Um, I guess in the UK context, I'm at a UK university, we are, but I mean, what, what if there's no funding for EU-related PhDs anymore, mm-hmm. which would be quite tricky for the US Student Forum because a lot of the people that come to us are British students and how we're going to work around that, which is a bit of a worry, mm-hmm. which I don't think will happen straight away because I think there'll be a lot of research now around Brexit. It's going to be um, dominating the next few conferences. But after that, if the money dries up, there's not, not everybody is as smart as me and does a PhD without uh, funding. <laughs> um, so if, if there's no money for it, we might maybe run out of PhD students for it. Okay, that's true. Let's find someone who's more cheery, uh, optimistic, or sees potential. I'm optimistic for the future. I think, you know, the the driving forces behind the UAC Student Forum uh, that we've talked about back in the um, early 2000s, I think a lot of them are still there, maybe in a slightly amended fashion. Um, you know, it's the, the need to um, be able to interact with other networks, it's a dreadful term, but, um, you know, I think research is increasingly becoming collaborative rather than the lone scholar mm-hmm. with their books kind of sh- shut away. So being able to kind of connect with people from different institutions, from different um, countries, from different disciplines, that's something that I think the Student Forum um, has a really valuable role to play in. And I think you know, because it tends to be populated by uh, youngsters on the whole, they're better able to think more radically and to be responsive to the things that, that their members want. Mm. And I guess UAC is, is quite international. I think there's about half of the um, association based in non-UK universities. So I think if we keep on pushing as well for that international aspect in a student forum, even if there's a slight dip or a flurry of Brexit-specific <laughs> PhDs, we'll still have the non-UK-based scholars to balance it out and make sure we keep on talking about a variety of topics mm-hmm. and in great places. It is one of those paradoxes of, of the, the subject that often the things that bring people to the subject is problems. Uh, and, you know, in that perspective, you might argue that this is a great time for European states because there are a lot of problems, <laughs> whether that's around the Eurozone, migrant crisis, uh, neighbourhood relations, Brexit, uh, very obviously. Um, and again, it's, it is that kind of uh, question about what... The, you know, the, the subject changes and, uh, you know, I think one of the things that we see is that people are interested at the moment in the particular things, but also that kind of generates a broader thing. And, you know, one of the things that for me always about the forum was you got to meet people who are doing different things uh, and make you think about the broader context uh, that was uh, coming through. Anyone got any kind of closing thoughts, you know, if, you know, I think we all agree that you know the forum has been good for us, and you know I know that if I hadn't been involved in the student forum at the beginning, I wouldn't be doing something like I'm doing now as, mm-hmm. as one of the officers of the association. Um, 
you started talking about how isolated you felt during your PhD, and that was at a political science institution. I did my PhD at environmental science uh, institution, um, and there were not that many people doing social science, and the number of people doing politics or European studies were even smaller. So I think for lots of PhD students now, there's perhaps one or two person in your whole university mm -hmm. that do things on Europe. And so the student forum is even more needed now, I think, than it was, it was then. And it's also really fun. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Thank you to all of you for, for your, uh, your thoughts, your reminiscences, uh, and your contributions. And uh, yeah, well, I think we, we, we see what the next years will bring. Uh, lots of opportunities and doubtless the occasional hurried meeting with people uh, to work out what on earth we should do about the uh, local disaster that's occurred. Uh, which I think has been a theme for everybody uh, at various points. So thank you once again, and uh, thank you for watching.